0: This is The Top Story, I'm Sui 21 years have passed since the U.S. launched an anti-terrorism war in Afghanistan. Following the hasty withdrawal of the Allied forces last year, the Taliban took over. Trying to rebuild a war-torn country, the interim government says money is the thorniest issue. The U.S. is still freezing $7 billion of assets that belong to the Afghan Central Bank. Huang Yue recently traveled to Afghanistan, and she talked with me about what she saw there. I think the most obvious thing that came to my mind, I guess, is security, which no doubt consumes a large chunk of budget for a country like Afghanistan that's just resumed to peacetime governments. So when you walk on the streets of Afghanistan, I mean, do you feel safe? Like, are you sure they have enough security manpower to maintain order?
1: Yeah, speaking of uh, security or safety. In fact, when you when we talk to local people about changes over the past year, many people would tell you that the most obvious thing is that life is much safer than before because they're not facing war anymore. They won't have to worry about like when they're sleeping at night there could be an airstrike and the whole village is destroyed. Things like that won't happen again. But it doesn't mean the country is totally safe now. Actually, uh, we arrived in Kabul on August 5th, and since we arrived, there were explosions reported almost every day in different districts of the capital city, especially during some big days. Uh, you know, we have many news apps on our phone, and every day uh, we receive the news notification like explosions heard in uh, first police district of Kabul, several people died, several people injured, something like this. And later, we realized that that frequent explosions during those days was because that's the Ashura Day, which is a traditional festival in Muslim countries. And local sources told us that every year during the festival, there are explosions. And those blasts or explosions were carried out by ISIS-K which is now a main security threat in Afghanistan now, uh, because they want to show the Taliban that they are still there. They still have power. They won't just let the Taliban take over the country so easily. And, you know, there are many big days in August in Afghanistan. Like we mentioned, August 5th to 8th uh, is the Ashraf Festival and August 15th, uh, one year to mark Taliban takeover. August 19th is uh, Afghanistan's Independence Day, which people celebrate their independence from Britain since 1919. And August the 31st marks the one-year anniversary of the U.S. withdrawal from the country. So several important days, and there could be large gatherings, and there could be blasts. And every day when we uh, went out, our local sources and our, also our security guys would repeatedly tell us to be careful because... Uh, According to our security guy, foreigners could also be a target because ISIS-K wanted to attract the worldwide attention. Uh, You know, like if some foreign journalists are injured or even killed in a blast, that would absolutely make headlines. And we did see things like that happen. Recently, Um, I, I remember in early September, a suicide bombing outside the Russian embassy in Kabul killed two diplomats. And of course, the International Society condemned that. And recently, another suicide bomb took place in an education center and the death toll continues to rise. Uh, When I checked this morning, the UN said the bomb had killed at least 53 people, including 46 girls and women, and wounded more than uh, 110 others. So you can see that although this is not a country in the war anymore, it still faces a lot of security challenges. And even though there were many checking points on the street and Taliban soldiers can also uh, sing on patrol in the bazaar or markets, I don't think that could effectively protect people from bombs or explosions.
0: Mm, Security remains a serious issue. Uh, I think for ordinary people, a golden criterion of whether their life returned to normal is whether it's convenient to use water and electricity. Uh, What's your observation there?
1: Um, Of course, water, especially clean drinking water, is an issue in Afghanistan. Uh, Perhaps things are better in cities, but when you travel to outskirts of cities or when you go to rural areas, Uh, like you mentioned in the villages, uh, you will see what ordinary people are really undergoing. Um, uh, I remember when we were in Kandahar, which is a big province in southern Afghanistan, and is also known as the birthplace of the Taliban. We passed by a village where we saw many children walking without shoes on the bumpy road, carrying several buckets in their hand carts, At first, we didn't realize where they were going and what they were going to do with those buckets. And as we drove, we then saw many people, including those children, gathering at a point. Then we got off and went there to check what they were doing. In fact, that place uh, they were gathering is actually a well, which is actually the only well in the village where 500 families lived. Uh, 500 families in the village share this one well. We didn't get the exact number of how many people, but you can imagine that on average, uh, each family has, mm, let's say, at least six children. So that's eight people in a family at least. So 500 families could be 4,000 people. They only have one well to get water. And that well was built by a local wealthy man like five or six years ago. And since then, villagers there could get water from there. Before that, they had to walk even further to get water. and. Even in the capital city of Kabul, people are also struggling with water scarcity. Uh, Recently, uh, we heard the news that the Ministry of Energy and Water of Afghanistan said there are 71 wells in total in Kabul. 44 of them are active while 27 others are dried. It also said that groundwater in the capital has dropped by 5 meters. Uh, And the ministry is planning to build a pipeline from Panjshir, uh, which is a northeastern province of Afghanistan, to Kabul to provide water to residents. And speaking of electricity, um, it's also another uh, severe issue. Uh, You know, Afghanistan imports most of its electricity, about 80 percent of its electricity needs. Uh, According to Afghanistan State Power Company, uh, the country needs around uh, hundred, 1,600 megawatts of power every year, but its domestic sources such as uh, hydropower plants and fossil fuels only meet about 20% of Afghanistan's energy needs. So the country mainly imports electricity from its neighboring countries. But the thing is, um, Afghanistan is unable to pay the bill. Uh, Last October, the state power company appealed to the United Nations Assistance Mission in Afghanistan for $90 U.S. million to settle the unpaid bills to its Central Asian suppliers, because at that time, uh, the country, which has been under Taliban governance, had not paid the electricity bills for its neighboring countries for about three months. Uh, And according to the state power company, Afghanistan usually pays 20 million to 25 million U.S. dollars per month to Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, uh, Turkmenistan and Iran for electricity. But, you know, due to the freezing of its billions of dollars of assets, Afghanistan is grappling with a cash crunch in the economy and its banking system is collapsed. The country does not have the ability to pay for it anymore. Um, But recently, we're happy to learn that Tajikistan and Uzbekistan have signed the supply agreement with the Taliban for 2022. And in early August this year, Uzbekistan said Afghanistan has fully settled its multi-million dollar debts owed to Uzbekistan for uh, electric power supplies, and is also paying on time for this year's supplies. But Tajikistan said it's still unable to receive the funds it's owed.
0: So they rely on import for electricity So. Let's talk about the money frozen by the United States and Europe you mentioned. I mean, for the U.S. government, do they have enough legal ground to do so? After all, it belongs to the uh, Central Bank of Afghanistan.
1: When I talked to, uh, when I talked with the Taliban officials about release of the frozen money, they said uh, they have had negotiations with the U.S. side, but so far, there are still not very fruitful results. But like we've mentioned before, Afghanistan is facing the worsening humanitarian crisis and the frozen money does not belong to any governor or any official personally. It belongs to Afghan people. Uh, that's Afghan people's life-saving money. So uh, that's why the international community, including the UN chief, has urged the US and the World Bank to unfreeze the, and, and return the money to the Afghan people in full. To help overcome the humanitarian crisis, especially after the massive earthquake in June this year, but from the uh but from the U.S. perspective, uh they think if they if they engage with the Taliban to find a solution for the mm, dispersal of these funds, it would indicate granting of de facto legitimacy to what they call or what they have been calling for years a terrorist organization. Even though the current Taliban said they are not what they were in the past, they're different now. They condemn terrorism. So uh, the U.S. doesn't recognize the Taliban as a sovereign authority of the country.
0: Mm-hmm. Beyond this trench of money frozen by the U.S. and Europe, do we have any idea of how much financial assistance the interim government needs from other countries and international organizations to rebuild Afghanistan?
1: Mm, Firstly, we have to know about Afghanistan's uh, economy structure. You know, Afghanistan's economy is aid-dependent. During the 20 years of uh, occupation uh, by the U.S. and NATO, which was from 2001 to 2022, Afghanistan sustained itself on aid from the international community, led by the U.S. and its allies, foreign direct investments, as well as uh, remittances from Afghans abroad. Uh, a total of uh, 34 donors came together to inject 10 million U.S. dollars into the reconstruction of the country with the creation of the Afghanistan Reconstruction Trust Fund in 2002. And these efforts had contributed to healthcare, education, and other indicators in the country. In addition, in the ministerial conference in Geneva in November 2020, uh, the international community committed to giving 13 billion U.S. dollars in aid to Afghanistan from 2020 to 2024 for basic services and sustaining the peace process. However, once the Taliban take over, all these commitments were set aside. Decades of accumulation and progress of the country made just reversed in just one year. You know, as a reporter, I cannot give an exact number of how much money or how much financial assistance would be enough to rebuild a war torn country. But I remember and I totally agree with what an expert said when we when he talked about the Afghanistan issue. He said Afghanistan is in lack of a lot of things money, food, professionals in different sectors. But there is one thing that the country never lacks and that is mechanism. There are so many mechanisms designed by different international organizations or platforms for Afghanistan. But what the country and its people need more, or let's say what they need urgently now, is pragmatic actions and deeds based on those mechanisms.
0: We know any post-war reconstruction needs a lot of money. So could you give me a general picture Like, how much do you feel that the money issue is hampering the rebuilding efforts in Afghanistan?
1: Well, decades of war, the recent devastating earthquake, drought, food insecurity, water scarcity. Uh, To help solve all of these problems, you can think of need a large amount of money. So even before the withdrawal of the U.S. and NATO, Afghanistan was one of the world's largest humanitarian emergencies. And since last August, Afghanistan has been suffering from the worsening humanitarian crisis. And the UNDP's recent report even says Afghanistan could face universal poverty with 97% of Afghans living below the World Bank designated international poverty line of $1.9 a day and almost half of its population, about 20 million people, are facing food insecurity. Tens of thousands of children are being admitted for emergency medical treatment for acute malnutrition every month, while many others in remote areas are even unable to get help uh, and have starved to death. Over one million children under five years old, especially at risk of uh, uh, dying when deprived of food, are suffering from prolonged acute malnutrition. So meaning that even if they survived, they face significant health problems. And, you know, the country's banking system has collapsed. About 9 billion U.S. dollars of Afghan assets from the country's central bank have been frozen. 7 billion by the U.S., 2 billion by Europe. And investments have been halted. Prices of imports have soared. Whenever you talk to vendors, they would tell you that things are expensive. Most people cannot afford it. Uh, What you sell today, you cannot buy that back at the same price tomorrow. And unemployment is also a big problem. Tens of thousands of people lost their jobs. People just lost their purchasing power. Uh, You may not imagine it, but the situation is really dire, especially if you go to the villages. Uh, But even if you are in Kabul, uh, the capital city, When you drive on the road, you can see so many people begging along the street. Most of them are women and children. And whenever you stop by the road, there will be children coming and knocking at the window of your car asking for money. And so to solve all these issues, a functioning banking system is an immediate and crucial need.
0: And of course, we're talking about food Uh, this year. Food security is an issue everywhere in the world this year. So what about in Afghanistan?
1: Mm, Famine has long been a problem for Afghanistan. You know, like we mentioned for a lot of times, decades of war has already left the country in devastation. And since last August, tens of thousands of Afghan people lost their jobs and people are struggling to make ends meet. And Earlier, the Food and Agriculture Organization and World Food Programme said in a report that 6 million Afghans are facing an emergency level of food insecurity. And now, winter is coming. Millions of Afghan families have almost no way to cope with the harsh winter. Uh, I did witness what an ordinary family has for lunch. Um, The first family I interviewed after I arrived in Kabul was the one who lost their sons last year in the Kabul International Airport chaos when the U.S. evacuated its personnel in Afghanistan. And on that day, when we almost finished our interview, it's about lunchtime. So I asked the father uh, what they were going to eat for lunch, and he told me just some rice and ice water. And because we were there, uh, we want to film the scene, the family had lunch together. To make the footage look nicer, the father particularly prepared some beans. So that's all what they had, rice with beans, nothing else. Uh, there are six people in that family, including a baby. But they only had literally one plate of rice with some beans. The father told me that they don't actually eat rice every day sometimes they just have some bread uh, i mean none we have that kind of thing in the region of xinjiang as well um, and the family is relying on humanitarian aids for a living because the father lost his job last august and he still cannot go out to look for a job because he and his wife have been suffering from some mental and physical problems after they lost their two sons in the airport chaos last year But when I asked when uh, was the last time for them to receive the humanitarian aid, the father said it was two months ago, and he didn't know when the next time will be. And, you know, uh, earlier in September, uh, the World Food Program and UN expressed concern over food insecurity in Afghanistan. The UN Office for Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs tweeted that 19 million people are facing food insecurity, 25 million people are living in poverty. To survive the winter, they require food, nutrition support, warming clothing and a roof over their heads. And the World Food Programme also said that it's one of the last remaining barriers between Afghanistan and famine. Uh, The WFP said it urgently needs one billion U.S. dollars to continue delivering monthly food and nutritional assistance for the next six months to 18 million acutely food insecure Afghan people.
0: I was wondering uh, why can they just expand plantation across like planting more crops across the country?
1: You know, firstly, this year, Farmers in Afghanistan are suffering from one of the country's worst droughts in decades, with their uh, shriveled harvests worsening, already skyrocketing hunger. And another important thing is that opium poppy was the main crop there over the past decades. And now the country is seeking alternative crops after a national ban on poppy cultivation. Uh, I, I also visited some farmers in Lashkar Gah, which is the capital city of Homan province in southern Afghanistan, uh, where it used to be the heartland of poppy cultivation in the country. And the farmers there had been planting poppies for decades in the field, and now they are using that field to grow cotton, wheat, and corn. But you know, the land is not that fertile. They lack water, they don't have machine. How can they grow wheat or corn in a good way? And how can they have bumper harvests? So it's still a long, long way to go for them to really solve the problem of hunger, famine, or even starvation. They are far from being food self-sufficient, I think.
0: So this winter, I guess, is expected to pose a really serious situation when it comes to food security for Afghanistan. And you interview hospitals there, and medical resources always are scarce in less developed places. And what do you think the hospitals in Afghanistan need the most? I mean, necessities, equipment, or professionals?
1: I think all of them you mentioned. Necessities, equipment, professionals, all of them. And the hospital I visited was one in Kandahar, which was built by China in the 1970s. And now it's not only the largest hospital in Kandahar, but it's also the main health center for the entire southern part of Afghanistan. Uh, The president of the hospital told me they now have only 650 beds and about 800 medical workers. Yet, with such limited resources, the hospital provides services to about 6 million people from five neighboring provinces. And since the U.S. withdrawal, the number of people coming to the hospital has been soaring because now people feel safe to travel from other cities to see a doctor here. And more importantly, it's totally free. The hospital now receives about 1,500 patients on a daily basis. So you can imagine how much pressure the hospital is under. And like we mentioned, patients don't need to pay for anything in a hospital. It's the uh, ICRC, the International Committee of the Red Cross, who is paying salaries for medical workers. And ICRC is also providing medications and equipment. During this year's World Peace Forum in July, I also talked to the head of the regional delegation for East Asia of ICRC, Mr. Pierre, and he said Afghanistan is in need of assistance, especially in health sector. Uh, He said ICRC is supporting over 10,000 doctors and nurses throughout Afghanistan, including many women with salaries so that they come to the hospitals and these services are delivered. And in the meantime, these hospitals need support to restructure, improve their systems, the quality of it, and rebuild and re- rehabilitate. Uh, well, the WHO has also been urgently uh, calling for international donors to step up and find an alternative funding mechanism for the crucial primary health care initiative in Afghanistan. Because uh, previously, uh, there is a program called Shahad Mandi, which was the backbone of Afghanistan's health system, providing care for millions of people uh, through its over uh, 2,300 health facilities. However, uh, since the U.S. withdrawal last August, major funding for the program has also been withdrawn. And due to the lack of funding, staff in such health facilities have not received their salaries for months, and clinics are faced with shortages of medicine and supplies, and patients are not able to access the essential health care uh, they need. So, if such facilities close down, um, increasing ill health and uh, mortality is absolutely inevitable. Uh, so more funds are needed to urgently fill the gaps and to support the country's health system in sustaining the delivery of essential medical services.
0: And. Let's talk about a little bit about long-term issues. I heard Afghan people value their children's education pretty much like we Chinese people do. And it's no surprise that education tend to be sidelined during wartime because young people are reluctant to go outside or they are fearful to go outside. So what's it like there today in Afghanistan?
1: I think this is really interesting question uh, because Afghanistan's education system has been devastated by more than three decades of sustained conflicts. For many Afghan children, completing primary school remains a distant dream, especially for girls and for those in rural areas. And the UNICEF estimated that about 3.7 million children in Afghanistan are out of school, 60% of them are girls. Poverty security concerns and conservative traditional thinking are the main barriers keeping children from going to school. The lack of facilities also makes attending school more difficult. Uh, It's reported that there is no fixed teaching building for at least 5,000 primary and secondary schools in Afghanistan meaning students have to attend classes outside. And during our visit in Afghanistan, we saw such kind of outside classroom, although there's not a real room there. It's actually a mobile school program called Pen Path because founders believe in Afghanistan, if you have a pen, you will have a brighter path. Uh, The program was founded in 2009, and now with over 3,000 volunteers, it offers mobile classes in all of Afghanistan's 34 provinces, especially in remote rural areas. And volunteers will drive their motor tricycle, equipped with a digital screen and a mini library, from village to village in different remote regions of the country.
0: Okay, what about education for girls? Apparently a topic that draws a lot of media attention.
1: Even until today, secondary schools in the country are still closed for girls since the Taliban took power. But again, uh, it's very touching to see so many volunteers making great efforts to bring education possibilities to girls and to children in remote areas. And they not only give classes to these children, but they also tell the parents about the significance of education. In that way, more parents and children will understand the meaning of getting educated. Uh, I randomly talked to some uh, kids from that mobile school, uh, including girls and boys, and many girls said they want to be a doctor or a teacher in the future because they think their country are in lack of female doctors and teachers. And I still remember that an 8-year-old boy told me if he was not there to attend the class, he would be working with his father on the street to sell fruit. And in comparison, he preferred having class learning things together with other kids instead of selling fruit on the street.
0: Yes. A UN spokesman says the frozen assets belong to the Afghan people and should be used for their benefit. Also, the UN Secretary General's Deputy Special Representative for Afghanistan says international engagement with the Taliban is the most realistic approach. Marcus Pazell says the humanitarian response plan for Afghanistan has only received 1.9 billion US dollars out of a 4.4 billion dollar requirement. He says such a funding gap is all the more alarming given that winter is coming. China's deputy UN envoy says the international community should draw lessons from the past 20 years and not just pay lip service to the phrase Afghan led and Afghan owned I'm Sui, and this is the top story. See you next time.